inside your very soul That's the sweet touch of love Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have in the studio, studio <laughs> Richard Syken. Richard, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks. <laughs> thanks for flying in in time to do the show. Yeah, my pleasure. It's because you're in town. Um, you're going to be at four, here for the Zell Visiting Writers series, and you're reading at UMA. Yes. tomorrow yes, I am. and a book signing and um it's kind of exciting because the book is hot off the press your war of the foxes is just out with copper canyon press brand new it just debuted at awp last week Woo! i know <laughs> and for national poetry month right yeah what it was could great. be better oh <laughs> um, yeah what was it like at awp when you were there with the book was that the first time you actually saw the the finished, like not the galley, but the, the the finished book in your hands? I saw a version earlier, but it was wrapped in plastic and I wasn't allowed to have it because it was somebody else's. So yeah, I wasn't able to open it until um, Thursday. That's kind of a curious story. Somebody else's, but you were, you just, we, I think it would be yours first. Well, the editor wanted it, and that's fair enough. Oh, with Michael Weegers, yeah. friend of the show. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So a shout-out to Michael and Joseph if you're listening over in Port Townsend, and many thanks to Kelly Forsyth for um, sending me the poems so I could, could take a look. Um, Richard, before we go any further, I'm going to read your short bio out of, out of the back of War of the Foxes. Richard Sykin's poetry collection, Crush, won the 2004 Yale Series of Younger Poets Prize, a Lambda Literary Award, and the Tom Gunn Award, and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. He is a recipient of a Pushcart Prize, two Arizona Commission on the Arts Grants, two Lannan Residencies, and a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. And Richard, there's so many interesting things to you that this is like the tiniest bio ever. So it's a good thing we have an hour to talk about poems and 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 you, the poet. I will tell you whatever you want to know. Ah, uh, <laughs> really? Sure. Why not? Is that the deal? Yeah. Now? Okay. Game on. <laughs> so thinking about maybe going back even before Crush, which was came out t- ten Two- years, a decade ago, two thousand four. Came out in it won in, in '04 chosen. and came out in in '05. Yeah, oh, so it is. It's a decade, a now. decade to the month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of lovely, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And 
were you when you were like a youngin? Were you writing poems? What were you? What was your sort of path to that that big moment when Crush was chosen by Louise Glick? Well, I got an undergraduate degree in psychology, and I thought I wanted to help people. And it turns out. I didn't want to help people. I wanted to hear the stories from crazy people. Because well, you've worked in social work. It wasn't social work. It was behavioral health. But yes. Ah, behavioral health. Okay. So I was working with crazy people with great stories. And it became apparent that I didn't want to follow the therapeutic method. How so? Well, when someone says... I control the moon from my belly button. You're supposed to say, it's really good to feel like you're in control. You're certainly in control of taking care of your hygiene. So why don't you go ahead and take a shower? And the, the plainness of that really bugged me. And Cause, I was because did you want to know more about the moon or play? I wanted <laughs> to say something inappropriate and buy into their crazy. I wanted to say, Really, just the moon, you should see what I control from my belly button. And that's not okay. That's not fair. So I decided to not get um, a degree in social work and decided to get a degree in poetry. So I went for an MFA. And was, was that in Arizona? Absolutely. Is University of Arizona. And so, and you're, you were born and bred in Arizona, too? I was too? born in New York, but... Um, I was part of the do-over family. Mom and dad had been married before. And so when I was two and a half, I sat them down and I said, I really need to shoot guns and ride horses. Um, don't worry, I'll still um, be raised by New York Jews, so I'll have some culture. But yeah. you went to Arizona to do this? Yes. Is that sort of... Yes. Of course, I didn't tell them at two and a half. They decided at two and a half to take me. But yeah, we moved to uh, Tucson, Arizona, and I grew up there, and I stayed because I love it. Even the heat. Or what is it about the heat? That probably informs some of the stuff that... How you move around in the world. Well, I remember when I was first getting to know Louise Glick and talking about Crush, um because she was from the East Coast, she had a different understanding of light and shade. And I'd always um, bristled at the idea that I was a Southwestern writer, because in my head that meant um, cowboys and border stories and howling coyotes and cactus. Shooting, shooting guns. Exactly. Um, but it turns out I am a, a Southwestern writer because the sun will kill you. Shade is where you find relief and snow is mythical. And there are only a few places where it snows in Crush and where it snows in War of the Foxes. And those are um, extra human moments because... In Tucson, it snowed in 1991, and it snowed in 1969. So it really is rare. Yeah. Um, and but the light is something that you have. It's it's something that's in, it's in your writing, and it's something that you're was. It's in your a quality of in your painting as well. Your your first poem, in War of the Foxes, has light as a character. 
Or oh. not as a character, but... Well, what does it is light? Does light figure into your first poem? Let me ask you that, Richard. I won't muscle in on any ideas here on that. And crush light was backgrounded. It was just something that was happening um, in the landscape. But in *Where the Foxes*, it becomes subject matter, really, because the book is about representation. Um, crush came out. And it was very personal, but the author and the speaker are different. And that's always troublesome for all of us. Even I get confused about the author and the speaker. And we don't make these mistakes with fiction, and we don't make these mistakes with actors and roles, but we really have a, a problem with this in poetry. And so I wanted to address the idea that a representation of the world isn't the world, and that a speaker of a poem isn't the author of the poem. And so light was crucial to that, of how it bounces off things and how the light in the paint is different than the light in the world. And how it's refracting in your eye is, is changing. It. I know, I've... I've often thought that when you see blue like if you look up at the sky and you're standing next to someone you're you're not necessarily seeing the same blue and it also changes because of what you're wearing and what they're wearing it's called splashback and uh you cannot exist in a landscape without being covered in something else's color huh. if they're wearing green you're seeing a much greener yellow and if I'm wearing red, you're seeing a redder yellow. Um, you can't really paste someone in in a painting because the shadows are wrong and the hues are wrong. Um, it's really hard to Photoshop that. I love how you were saying this this idea that people talk about in poems, like poets always like uh, everything's connected. And then you just made it also the case for it visually as well. Like everything is connected. You can't, it's influencing, impacting. It doesn't have to be. Poets, so? poets, can do, poets can do whatever they want. I would like to have it connected. But poets, that's, that's the joy of poets. They can do whatever they want. You can have a first-person speaker. Um, that's been around since Sappho. You can have narrative. That's been around since the beginning of time. Um, you can take the, the first person out and you have language poetry. You can, do, you can do all sorts of things, whatever you want. And what do you want to do next? Oh, I just finished this book, and it just came out on Friday. And so I I'm know, pushing you. Well, I know, <laughs> I, I, know, I know people want to know, but I want to know as well. I have no idea. And for you, it seems like with, with Crush, you said that was a long time coming. Because th did you say, I think I read somewhere that there was a poem that you were in there that you were working on since you were 10. No, I have separately a, a poem, a long poem that I'm going to write for my whole entire life. I started that at 10, and the language is a little weak at the beginning. Um, but there is a line in Crush uh, that stayed in the manuscript that I wrote at 19. Part of it what was... What line is it? Um, he had green eyes, so I wanted to sleep with him. It seems really simple, but it also was sort of... A crystallizing moment at 19 that things sort of built upon. 
And it sounds so lyrical. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah, that's, that's part of what you want poems to do and be. That's what I'm shooting for, um, the lyric voice. I'm in Crush. It was a book about feeling. And there is this lyric voice that was confessing things, but also inventing things. And I liked the way it went back and forth between the truth and the beautiful lie. Um, but people wanted to know um, if it was biographically accurate. And people were really waiting to see what I might feel next. And Crush did really well, so it was hard to get out from the shadow of it. So I thought I'd try thinking and see if people would bear with me while I thought through something rather than felt through something. And so War of the Foxes is an argument as well as um, a collection of poems, poems including fables. An argument. Yeah, there, there are a variety of modes in poetry. Um, it used to be there were set modes, um, and now they're more gestures. But Crush was narrative. This one's rhetorical. And I think the next one's going to be meditative, if I take a guess at it. Okay, and Kuzo is pushing you. <laughs> take a guess. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Richard Sykin is here today on Living Writers. We've got text behind the glass. I'm T. Hetzel. Let's hear some poems from War of the Foxes out with Copper Canyon Press when we return. We'll be right back. If you walk away, I'll walk away. First tell me which road you will take. Don't wanna risk our paths crossing someday So you walk that way, I'll walk this way And the future hangs over our heads And it moves with each current event Until it falls all around like a cold steady rain Just stay in when it's looking this way and the moon's laying low in the sky Forcing everything metal to shine And the sidewalk holds diamonds like a jewelry store case They argue, walk this way, no, walk this way And Laura's asleep in my bed As I'm leaving, she wakes up and says I dreamed you were carried away on the crest of a wave. Baby, don't go away. Come here. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Richard Sykin is here in the studio. We've got War of the Foxes. In fact, Richard is holding his copy now. We've also got a um, crush here on the table with us. Um, Richard, thanks for picking the songs for today's show. Absolutely. It was fun. Was it? Yeah, oh, it was great. I always, you, and you were really super fast about doing it too. I, I'm always glad when someone's enjoying well, I, it. I seemingly. Gotta, <laughs> you know, I had a playlist that I had going when I was writing. I had um, songs that helped me redirect where my thinking was. Um, 
the, the first two were great. The National, um, not going to get it exactly, but walk away now and you'll start a war. And then the Bright Eyes is, uh, if you walk away, I'll walk away. And there's a lot of walking away in War of the Foxes. So. And so these are songs that you were thinking, like listening to rather. Oh, yeah, that absolutely. That were informing the thinking and, and the feeling, but writing about the thinking. <laughs> writing about the thinking. <laughs> okay. Well, Richard, would you mind, um, let's, let's hear some of the, these poems we've been talking about. Sure, sure. This is a poem, uh, hopefully, that shows the thinking, but I think there's also feeling underneath. Still life with skulls and bacon. A thing and a thing and a thing held still. You have to hold something still to find the other things. This is speculation. You will die in your sleep and leave everything unfinished. This is also speculation. I had, obliga I had obligations, hope, but hope negates the experience. I owe myself nothing. I cut off my head and threw it on the ground. I walked away. This is how we measure walking away. We carve up the world into feet and minutes to know how far from home, how many hogs in the yard. My head just sat there. Fair enough. A map without landmarks is useless. Science dreams its dreams of knowledge, names it, pokes it with equations. The crucial thing is not 50 times whatever, but how we got these notions. How much, how many, how far, how long. It's good to give explicit answers, showing all the steps necessary and sufficient, finding the dots, connecting the dots, an interrogation of the dots, a pip a point, a seed, a stone. This is philosophy. These are suppositions. If one has no apples, one has zero apples. You see, there is no shortage of open problems. We carve up the world and crown it with numbers, lumens, ounces, decibels. All these things and what to do with them. We carve up the world all the time. Thanks, Richard. So with this, this poem, there was, when you're writing this and with the thinking, are you, what parts are coming to you with, are you starting with um, like an image of the skulls? Is that why it becomes part of the name, the was, title, or it was, is it, uh, yeah. It was actually the head. Um, I noticed you... there was, there were hands in Crush, and the hands kept turning into birds in Crush. The hand in Crush was held back for so long that when it finally reached out to touch, it was rupture. And there was... The sense of finding the appropriate way of touching and in crush, the way is not found. And part of the reason it took time between books is I knew I had to figure out what to do with my hands. And I did. So that's where the that's where some of the poems start. 
but I also knew I couldn't write another book about hands. So since it's thinking, I decided to use the head. Um, in another poem, I cut off my head and throw it in the sky. Um, let me just read that line. I cut off my head and threw it in the sky. It turned into birds. I called it thinking. Um, so, and then the head turns into the moon later and starts talking. So, yeah. And then towards the end, the moon is there with the brothers. Um. Yeah, well, don't give away the end. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, too late. <laughs> And do you, it sounds to me like this book is very much also, um, it's, it's as you're, as these poems are coming into the, the world, they're, they're themselves, but they're very interlinked because when you were reading, um, the skulls and the bacon, um, and with, uh, dots came in there connecting the dots. I felt like I knew there was a thread later in the book with this idea as well. So is that part of, um, when this book was coming into being, when did you feel like there were poems that were definitely going to be neighbors or, or was that part of it? I overwrite. I invented a whole landscape and then realized that the book is only a path through the landscape. And I had to throw away a lot of poems because they were beautiful landmarks, but they were off of the path. Um, I think these two books come from the same landscape um how so i yeah. think i think the next three come from the same landscape the meditation well when i was when i was 19 i made a plan for five books and so far i'm on track and they were all a uh, single word but it became too clever so this is actually the working title for this was render huh and so you've got the, the render and representation. And the third one is hover. So hopefully those will be um, more delightful and celebratory. I don't know. I said that the second book would be delightful and celebratory. So maybe it will be a very low hovering. Maybe just like an inch <laughs> off the ground. Like a low-flying robin. That they're all around in springtime because I think. Do you think it's because they're heavy from before they lay eggs or something? I just feel like low flying robins are all around us. I'm thinking more like a stone, a skipping stone, something. Ah, so it's in, and moving through. Yeah, yeah. I I dream of heavy things and square things. I don't dream of of robins in spring. I dream <laughs> of cars and cartons of cigarettes and bricks. That's what you dream of? Yeah. Do you keep a dream journal or are you just saying dream as a uh I am I am a dream journal. <laughs> You're a walking dream yeah, journal. Yeah, I don't have to write it down. What did you dream last night? Oh, I can't tell you that. That'll go in the next book. <sighs> I don't believe you. I just feel like you don't remember your dream and you're not going to say. <laughs> okay, but so at 19, you had a plan, you say, for five books. Yeah. And is that when you named them with a single, is that what you said, the single word names? Yes. Are you, okay. So five books, though. Yeah. We've talked of three. Was it, when you say a plan, was it something where you were in the Tucson heat <laughs> and you had a vision? Or was it something that, like, did you, so it sounds to me like you knew you were wanted one poems. of one of the one of the things that 
moved me from psychology to poetry was running into the work of Dennis Cooper. And Dennis Cooper has a five-book cycle called um, the George Miles Cycle, and all of them are single-word titles. And each book he has um, flips its craft choices and flips its perspective. And so at 19, I just said, I'm going to do that. And we'll see if I really do. Um, but... How did you find him? Like, how did he, how did you come across him? Um, friend of a friend of a friend loaned me a book. Isn't that weird how that happens? Like yeah. something that like this right moment. Well, or, yeah, but, but well, you you're going to say there's no right moments, right, Richard? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say sideways that, um, having been lent, you know, scores of books, it was this one that struck me rather than the others. So, yeah, it was a special moment, but it's not like the first time I ever got lent a book. Right. Hang the flags out, right? <laughs> so, at 19, though, it feels like you had this sense of of a vision then. that I, Did you did you kind of, were you always, did you know it was going to be poems or could it have been any type of writing? At 14... I had plans on being an architect, you know, and at 24, I had plans on being a social worker. So I had plans all the time. It just, this is the, the thread that panned out, but it could have been anything. I'm glad it was this. Um, I wanted to paint. I do paint now, but I'm not very good at it. I'm getting better. Um, I'm certainly best at poetry, but um, I would love to make furniture or, or, or build a house, or I don't even know. I just like making stuff. Yeah, the the need for making. Yeah. It so it's it feels like it's a, is it fair to say it's a compulsion, or just or maybe a value. I think if it is a compulsion, I need someone outside of me to call it that. I don't know if I could self-report. A compulsion but uh it's it's certainly a thrust it's what i want to do when i wake up is make something is that one of the reasons why you started spork press i started spork press because my friend drew was a bookbinder and he was making blank books and they were too beautiful to write in and he couldn't find a bookstore that would carry them so after being frustrated for well, about a year and a half, um, he came into a cafe where I was and threw the books down and said, this isn't working. You know people. You do content. I'll do bookbinding. Let's just start a magazine. And I said, okay, well, let's sit down and make a business plan and figure out. And I started talking, just interrupted me and says, call everyone tonight. We're going to start a magazine. Our first, first issue will be out in three months. And that was 15 years ago. Let's take a short break and we'll come back. Today on the program, Richard Sykin is here. We've got War of the Foxes on the table, just out with Copper Canyon Press and Richard's book, Crush. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. We've got time. They pull around for the sailor And they heard his tale 
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Richard Sykin is here. Um, thanks for picking the Tom Waits. I love it. I love it. It's one of the saddest songs in the world. Yeah, a lot of his songs are, aren't they? Yeah. They're really, they really, they get in there, like somewhere deeper inside. I like this one because it's a, a fish and a bird that fall in love and it's impossible. And I've got foxes and birds and deer, so... Let's talk about some of these animals. Sure. Why are, why are they Why are they here? What, what are they doing that us people, or you or me... I didn't are. want to repeat myself, and I wanted to challenge myself. Crush is mostly in the second person, to make the reader complicit. And I didn't want to repeat that. In the second person also, I didn't have to own it. And I figured it was time to start owning it. So I thought I would write in I and he, and the book split in half immediately. There were poems that were from the first person, and there were prose poems that were in the third person. Um, I also found that I needed more voices than just my own because I was talking about war instead of just one small love. And I realized that there were things I wanted to say that just sounded so boring in a first-person singular. I'm sitting there thinking, am I the man that I wanted to be? And every time I've heard that, I just yawn. And so I thought, how do I frame this so that it's powerful? And the line that came out was, the fish in the fish sticks think to themselves, this is not what we meant to be. And then a friend says, well, if you have fish sticks and that's a talking <laughs> animal, you're writing fables. <laughs> and so, okay, I'm writing fables. I'll put in, I'll put in animals. Um, it was another way to show the artifice of, mm. of making and uh, to really drive home the fact that these are not um, biographically accurate poems. I'm not going to answer that question anymore. Because it seems like, I think it's, well, the artifice of making. It, yeah, the world splits immediately. You have the thing and the made-up thing. And the made-up so thing... So an object. Yeah, and the made-up thing has a different set of rules. Than what we than the Assume. real thing than the real thing because it could be anything again like the poem poets can do anything 
they a can. poem can do anything. Yeah. And this fish stick, well, can be eaten <laughs> and processed, and yeah. But if there's and there's then there's this play that seems part of who you are, kind of a dark play in a way, Richard. Like, like I never thought I'd be fish sticks is funny, but it's also sad. Well, and horrifying. I think. I get this a lot, that I come from a dark place, and I think I don't. I think I come from a real place, and the reason that the poems work is everyone knows what I'm talking about, so you must have that dark place in you. I don't know why you're lying about it. Are you saying you just as your second person, or are you addressing me, Richard? <laughs> you. You across from me talking to the microphone. You know what I'm saying. It's not a dark place. No, um, no, I don't. One I, of the, even though you told me you hate puppies, so I was getting a read on you earlier. <laughs> I told everyone. Yeah, you just told everyone. <laughs> but what were you going to say? Um, let me read a bit to see if I can show you uh, best. That would be, that would be lovely. Okay, this is from a long poem, so I'm just going to read part of it. How long is long? When you say long, can you um, give us a sense of that? And it's in sort pretty of the much first half. When it goes three, three pages or longer, I think it's a long poem. You know, a regular poem is a page, maybe a little more, and then a short poem for me. And I've only just started doing them uh, in this book. Short poem, one, two, three, four, five. I did a six-line poem. That is that was, the final poem? That was terrifying. Your oh, the final poem, poem is five. Yeah, right. um, but, okay. Okay, but back to, yeah, where we were. Cave paintings, the, the origin of art. Um, this is from the first, first fable called The Language of the Birds, so part three. They looked at the animals. They looked at the walls of the cave. This is earlier... These are different men. They painted in torchlight, red mostly, sometimes black, mammoth, lion, horse, bear, things on a wall, in profile or superimposed, dynamic and alert. They weren't animals, but they looked like animals, enough like animals to make it confusing, meant something, but the meaning was slippery. It wasn't there, but it remained, looked like the thing but wasn't the thing, was a second thing, following a second set of rules, and it was too late. Their power over it was no longer absolute. What is alive and what isn't, and what should we do about it? Theories about the nature of the thing and of the soul, because people die. The fear that nothing survives, the greater fear that something does. The night sky is vast and wide. They huddled closer, shoulder to shoulder, painted themselves in herds, all together and apart from the rest. They looked at the sky and at the mud and at their hands in the mud and at their dead friends in the mud. This went on for a long time. So, and then where, how, 
how what happens like after that where is that coming in the poem when you leave us there in that moment oh i'll take you i'll take you out okay okay. (laughs) i'm sure you will four to be a bird or a flock of birds doing something together one or many starling or murmuration to be a man on a hill or all the men on all the hills, or half a man shivering in the flock of himself. These are some choices. The night sky is vast and wide. A man had two birds in his head, not in his throat, not in his chest, and the birds would sing all day, never stopping. The man thought to himself, One of these birds is not my bird. The birds agreed. (laughs) Yeah, there's a multiplicity of selves that happens right away in the first poem. Uh, The splitting of the author and the speaker, the splitting of the speaker and the character. The book starts with someone wanting to paint a landscape, wanting to have a thought puts a man in the landscape and suddenly the man wants to claim it, own it, starts multiplying into battalions of soldiers, building cities, burning things down, killing people. It was, it surprised me how quickly this book got out of control in the first poem. And I was confessing anger and greed and wanting more than I deserved and taking it. And, um, the the field burns down almost immediately and then it snows and there are blackened trees and suddenly the littlest bit of hope that there are spies smuggling documents and giving each other some sort of temporary immunity so it feels like there's just so much it's roiling so and this but that's what's so interesting, too, is you're thinking that it's thinking. It is. Because it is. Is that is something that's like how a representation of the mind, right? With the interior of how it's moving. Because those things come quite quickly. I'll confess, after Crush, I wondered if I would ever love again. It doesn't seem like the speaker in Crush has a chance. And I thought, well, what if it's true? What if I never love again? Will I have anything worthwhile to say? And so so I took love off the table and I said, okay, if love's off the table, if I'm not going to write another poem that says he won't love me back, what else is in me? And immediately roaring up came, don't kill my friends. And that started the book, Don't Kill My Friends. We live in a time of war. We ignore it. I ignore it. I didn't want to write about it. I knew I had to address it somehow. I didn't, I, I am, have not been a soldier. I have not been the front line. Tucson has an Air Force base, so I've seen people come back with the thousand-yard stare, PTSD, um, the pale skin, rattled, not wanting to talk. But I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen more personally, and so I needed an angle in. Um, and I thought, 
do I have any enemies? And the answer was no, it wasn't that simple, but I did have opponents. Um, and that was a crystallizing moment. Um, in the title poem, there's a line, um, probably one of the first generative lines of the book that says, you cannot have an opponent if you keep saying yes. And it's and it's felt necessary for you to have an opponent to make for the need for making. Um, I had to I had to confess that I did have opponents. I had to confess that I try to say yes to my friends as much as possible. But I also realize sometimes you have to say no to protect yourself or to protect others, and then things spin out of control. From listening to you, that's what I also feel is like you, you're a protector. Um, I hope so. My only tools are poems, so that's interesting. Um, but yeah, if you're under my umbrella, you're under my umbrella. And that voice that came up when you said like that you might yeah, had that feeling you might not write again, like there wasn't some like don't kill my friends. So that was out maybe like to try to attach it literally to like, like one of the voices, one of the birds somehow. Or like, what voice is that? Because was it your, your voice or is it just some sort of more primal thing? Oh, it was my voice. Absolutely my voice. In the book, I, you know, it's ventriloquism. I put it in a variety of other characters' mouths. And animals. Different, yeah. Yeah, the... yeah. But no, Don't Kill My Friends came from a really deep, personal, um, real place that was me and who do you think you're uh, is that to the universe or who who are you oh, addressing it was, it was to war it was to opponents it was picking sides i had to pick a side i know right and we all do and it's awful because once you pick a side there's there's an investment and a cruelty and all sorts of things um with that because when you're picking a side, it's like it's changing the light, isn't it? It suddenly us splits into us and them, and that's that's where tragedy starts. What's the possibility of the we? Oh, I'm not smart enough to address that in the large context, but um. The we is the, the flock, the herd, the people that stick together. The murmuration? The murmuration rather than the starling. Um, I'm really much more comfortable when the men fight the landscape, but sometimes the men have to fight the men. And even more tragically, sometimes it's not good versus evil. It's just good against good at cross purposes. Because their side has been chosen so it changes but, the other but sometimes both sides are right and they're just at cross purposes it's devastating let's take a short break and we'll be back today on the program richard syken is here i'm t hetzel you've got living writers we'll be right back I know 
Hi, welcome back. You've got Living Writers if you're just tuning in. So glad you did because you've caught Richard Syken here in the studio. Richard will be reading tomorrow at UMA um, from from the new book, right? Richard, War of the Foxes. Um, you'll be there at UMA, 510-ish, that Michigan time thing, book signing afterwards. Um, and and it's really great because we're getting to, you're coming to Michigan from Arizona, from Tucson, and it's at the very beginning of this book tour because you were at AWP where you had the, maybe the launch. You're probably going to have the Tucson launch as well. But it's, it's kind of exciting to be here at the beginning of this book's entrance into the world. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, um, Let's hear another poem from War of the Foxes. I'd, I'd like to, to share the first poem because I think it really sets up the argument. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think the poem sums up the beginning, and I don't even have to explain it. The way the light reflects. The paint doesn't move the way the light reflects. So what's there to be faithful to? I am faithful to you, darling. I say it to the paint. The bird floats in the unfinished sky with nothing to hold it. The man stands, the day shines, his insides and his outsides kept apart with an imaginary line, thick and rude and imaginary, because there is no separation, fallacy of the local body, paint on paint. I have my body and you have yours believe it if you can negative space is silly when you bang on the wall you have to remember you're on both sides of it already but go ahead yell at yourself some people don't understand anything they see the man but not the light they see the field but not the varnish there is no light in the paint so how can you argue with them they are probably right anyway I paint in his face, and I paint it out again. There is a question I am afraid to ask, to supply the world 
with what? What a great way to start the book. Yeah, well. Because then you try. That's your. I'm faithful to the paint, which means this is going to be beautiful lying, lying and singing all the way through. Darling. Yeah, so don't call me out on that. And the question is to supply the world with what? And I've got to admit, um, Crush did really well, and I felt like I was responsible for something. People said I did something to them, and I wondered, um, I wondered if I was... Um, if I could be implicated and in what ways. Um, so I had to talk about having made a thing. Um, and I think now that I've talked about it, I can keep on making things. So we'll okay. say, yeah, but this, I don't know, I just, I had to step out of the world of crush. It was really, really insular and I had no audience when I wrote it, and it was really private, and I was writing poems and shoving them under doors and running away. And then I had to read these poems out behind podiums, and I never expected that. And now that that's happened, I have a book that can dialogue with Crush in a really interesting way, um, in, an, in a take-one-step-back way. And I wonder if I'm going to keep taking a step back and a step back and a step back in some sort of uh, meta-textual nightmare, but we'll see. Well, you have book three and book four and book five that you could keep. Yes. What You have not said anything about your vision for four and five. You're right. I have not. Why is that? I haven't even, I have to get into three. And I might, I may junk it. I may junk it, and who knows? I'm not one to make promises I can't keep. I'll share notions. These are notions of mine. But you know, things things spin out of control, and often into better places. But now, I'm just going to share the work as it's finished. Not so much detail the architecture of it. One last thing before I let go of this one thing. Um, but in the plan, when you were 19, because I love this idea of having these moments where we do, because so often we walk around and we'll have these moments where we feel like, gosh, have I been asleep for a while? You know, so it's nice to have this reverse feeling or where you do have an epiphany and you're in it and it's forward rather than holy cow, right? So, you thought of five, but it was, was it because of the, the George Mills framework or was it because there were five pieces, even though you might not like fully articulate them? You know, there's the five act play. I didn't really invent the form. There seemed to be structures that, um, helped formulate and limit the projects. Um, it worked for two, but I don't even know if War of the Foxes is the second one. It came close. It wasn't what I meant to do. It's what happened. Uh, so who knows what the third one's going to be. It might be a long poem and have nothing to do with anything. Uh, or I might just move to science fiction. I have no idea. Or it could be image-driven. Who knows? There's not one line of text yet. So there's not much to say. How important is resistance to you? What do you mean? In your 
in your life, in your work, this feeling of resisting? Still don't understand the question. I don't know, because it feels like you're saying that you don't know. Like it, But it's not like, I wonder if it worries you that you don't know, or if it's just part of, I guess, resisting. Whether resisting like that you should even know or have another line of text. I'm doing great now, but I did get kicked out of my house at 16. I did eat out of dumpsters. I did have my lover die. So not knowing what the next book is doesn't really even reach a level of concern. Just be. Yeah. And make. Because maybe you tr can trust that the need to make. Oh, I don't trust anything and I don't believe anything. I mean, I believe everything. I'm super gullible. Um, but I only believe it for the duration of the sentence. I'm not really invested in the truth. And if there is a truth, I think I'm the least likely to get my head around it. Yeah, I am not a journalist. I would not do very well at that. I don't even know if I would be successful at nonfiction. I just make stuff up. I just make stuff up and, and hopefully I can revise with intent towards something that evokes. But I make no claims on truth. In fact, the book is saying, don't come to me for truth. Other people are really good at that. Yeah, they, there's even this one, um, this one line where I don't, I don't know which poem it was in, but you'll know, Richard, I trust that. The, um, trust for the duration of the sentence. Um, so, where it's something worse, something useful. Like there's like, that was the fear that it could be something that would be useful would be the worst thing. Yeah, utility runs through uh, the whole book. What do I do with my hands? Um, what do I do with the thing I made? Um, and I have some really simple images so that I could flip them and flip them and flip them. I have birds that run all the way through and the bird is different in each poem. It stands for something different. And then, you know, by the time we get to the end, everything is different. And I think there, there's, there are two poems in Crush that I can't read in public without breaking down. And I think I will never be able to read The End of Foxes out loud. I have a really dear friend and several years into our friendship, I realized suicide was no longer an option because I would not do that to him. So I made a promise that I would not die first on purpose. And at the end of the book, I die first. I don't know if it's on purpose, but I die first and have to apologize. Yeah. Why I, do you think you did? Why? Where do you think that came from? Because it's again, it's like, don't kill my friends. Don't, where do you think it's? You know, once you, once you open up something, you kind of have to spin it and see the other angles. So it, it deepens, um, you know, an underlying, underlying don't kill my friends is also don't kill myself.
I mean, it had to be addressed. It had to come up. Is there a poem that we can go out on? Not the last poem. Yeah, let's go out on something light. And then we have your last song by the Yields, too. Okay. Which is, you said, the best cover of Can't Help Falling in Love. The Mystery of the Pears. I looked at the pears. I painted the pears, what they were like. I waited for the pears to reveal their mystery. Five brown pears in a chipped white bowl, soft and scarred and blushing yellow in the throbbing dark. They shine in their suits. I hung them on the wall, precise, a landmark. You might like it here. I think that you might like it here. I love that one. Thank you. Richard, thanks for talking with me today. A pleasure. Come back anytime. I'll come back tomorrow. Okay, I'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone out there listening, um, Richard, you can go and hear and see Richard talk at UMA tomorrow. Read poems from War of the Foxes, out now from Copper Canyon Press. Thanks again, Richard, for being here today. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks to Tex. Thanks to Tyler for engineering. Thanks to all you out there for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. men say only fools rush in but I can't help falling in love with you shall I stay would it be a sin I can't help falling in love with you Like a river flows surely to the sea Darling, so it goes Some things were meant to be Take my hand Take my whole life too For I can't help Falling in love with you
Wise men say Only fools rush in But I can't help Falling in love with you Shall I stay Would it be a sin If I can't help Falling in love with you Like a river flows Surely to the sea Darling, so it goes Some things were meant to be Take my hand Take my whole life too For I 